Amazing job, team. Thank you all so much for leading us in worship. Uh, how many of you guys are fired up to be at church today? I, I am. I am. I, I've been looking forward to this Sunday uh, just, just all week. I love being here with my church family. Uh, for those of you all that don't know, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are kicking off a brand new series today uh, called 40 Days of Faith, just like Randy said. And um, if you are visiting with us, um, I want to especially say thank you for being here. Let me tell you a little bit about us as a church. Um, we have a yearly theme. Every year we do a theme. This year's theme is fruitfulness. Uh, we want to see what God does in response to us living out our calling, what fruit he will bear. And, and I will also say that um, some couples have taken that very literally, and we are expecting quite a few babies soon. So, yes, that's a, 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 apparently uh, a baby is a, sign that, uh, is, is a God, sign of God's opinion that the world should go on. So we are very, very grateful for that. Next year, the theme is the adventure. We're going to see what it looks like when we engage in the adventure of faith. Um, people and churches that view life as a great spiritual adventure don't have time for rebellion or doubt. So uh, that, that's what next year's theme is. And as Randy uh, alluded to, next year we are taking seven mission trips out of here and, and a huge ambitious undertaking. We've never done anything like this before. And we challenged everybody in this church to be one of two things, to be a goer, actually going, or a sender, someone who supports financially. And uh, at, at current count right now, we have 49 people committed to going on, uh, on, on mission trips next year to visit all of our missionaries that we support. And we have $14,670 pledged uh, from senders to make those trips possible. That is amazing, you all. It's incredible. You guys are, are, are just, just an amazing thing. Um, and so if you uh, missed the signups and you would like to go on a mission trip, we have one going to Haiti, one going to Jamaica, one going to Honduras, one going to India, one going to Kenya, one going out to Portland to support our church plant out there. And uh, um, there's... And, and where? Oh, Dominican. I, I always forget that. Dominican. Uh, do them in order. So uh, that, though you have your slew of, of possibilities to go there. Uh, please pick one to either go on or support. Um, and, and so we are, as a church, we're, this is our kickoff week. We're kicking off uh, the, the, everybody's back to school, home from summer vacations and everything like that. And so we, um, we, we see people that are, that are coming to church for the first time. Catalyst Christian Church is based off, a, a, off of a two-time slot strategy. Um, one of the things I've realized that we're all busy. Everybody's so busy, especially uh, people that are, that, that are working full-time, they're raising children, they got sports to go to, and they got everybody's busy. And uh, we realize that most people, if not all, can give two time slots in their week. Um, and so we want to, we can fight that, we've tried fighting that and, and everything, but we've realized that people will give us two time slots. And so we want to do both with excellence. So if you're part of Calus Christian Church, we ask you for two time slots. For Sunday morning worship, we ask you to be here every Sunday so, for worship, and then we ask you to join a community group. 
Um, those are the two time slots that we expect everybody who's part of our church to be a part of. And we as a church staff have dedicated ourselves to making those two time slots as excellent as possible, do it with excellence. We also have men's Bible study, women's Bible study, youth group, things like this that, 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 that we encourage as well. But uh, we're based off of the two time slots, and, and, and so that is what we uh, expect you guys to do. Now, if you guys have, have seen this, this is a devotional book that, that we have put out, church staff has put out, and these will start next Sunday. We're introducing the topic today of faith. Next week is, is the very first one. It is called Faith When You Have a Past. And what we will, we will introduce a topic on Sunday morning, and then there are, there are six days of devotionals to unpack that, day one, day two, day three, day four, and you do those to further study what we're talking about on Sunday morning. You also discuss these in your community groups. So that is what this is. Please pick up one of these on the way. Every, it's not just one per family. We need one per person because this is for you and to help you go deeper in the topics we're talking about. So that is kind of how this is going on. These devotional books start next week, not, not this Sunday. They, they don't start tomorrow. They start next Monday. So, all right. So today, uh, also, if you're part of Catholic Christian Church, you know you'll get a main thing. We, we try to boil down everything we do to one sentence, one main thing, because most people only remember one thing. So the main thing today is this, is that faith is the combination of knowledge and trust. Faith is the combination of knowledge and trust. You cannot have faith without both of those. Uh, I looked up the definition of faith, and it says faith is the, com I'm sorry, is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That's what faith is. That's the definition of faith. Now, Hebrews 11, 1 says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'm going to make a bold statement here, and I'm going to say this. You cannot live without faith. You cannot live without faith. Someone says, well, I, I don't have faith in anything. I, 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 don't, I don't trust. I don't have faith. I, I'm, no, you're wrong. You have faith that the pew you're sitting in is not going to fall. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting there. You have faith that whoever built the ceiling in this knew what they were doing and it's not going to fall in. That's why you're here. You have faith that it's safe here. I don't see anyone in a plastic bubble or, or wearing body armor. So you, you, uh, you have faith that it's safe here. You wouldn't be here. You have faith in all kinds of things. Just to live, you have to have faith. You have to have faith that there is oxygen to breathe. I don't see anyone with an oxygen uh, uh, mask. I don't see anyone with, you know, with, a, with a, a, a scuba tank. I don't see any. You have faith, okay? But here, here's the thing. Just to, just to live, you have to have faith because in reality, we don't know anything. We can't know anything. You're like, you can't know? No, no, you really can't. You can believe and have faith in things, but you really can't know. Do you really know that the pew that you're sitting in isn't going to fall? No, you don't know that. You have faith, but you don't know that. You don't really know anything. You can only have faith that something is true and go from there. And here's, the tr here, here's one thing I want to tell you. Number one, we are not called to have blind faith. That is a misnomer. In churches, a lot of, a lot of criticisms of Christians is that, well, you just call, call to have blind faith just to believe it without. No, no, no. We're not called to have blind faith. 1 John 4.1 tells us the opposite. It says this, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I know people that believe that any random thought into their heads is from the Holy Spirit. 
I had a, a, a woman one time come up to me and say, I, I really believe that God's will is for me to marry that guy over there. Well, the guy was married. And, and I said, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit does not lead you to, to, to that which is against Scripture. Okay? That is a false spirit. You are not supposed to, you know, that, that's not good. Um, Acts 17, 11 says this about people that don't take everything at face value and examine things. Check this out. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay, the Bible does not condemn them for, 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 for not believing everything. The Bible commends them for examining everything, for checking up to see if it was true. They weren't chastised for not believing they were not uh, uh, downgraded for not being discerning. Rather, they were called of noble character. We are not to believe everything we hear. That is not what faith is. We are not, you are not to believe blindly everything that I say. I fully expect you to look up in the scriptures and check out whether or not what I am saying is true. That's how we grow and mature as Christians. You are supposed to check everything. You're supposed to question everything. You're supposed to see if what is being said is true. Okay? We're called to examine, to use wisdom, to see if things are true. Uh, many people say, well, I'm, I'm kind of struggling in my faith. Well, uh, I'd like to suggest to you that there are two possible reasons why you're struggling. Okay? It's not because you're a bad person or that you're defective or there's something wrong with you. No. You, uh, it's because of one of two things. Either you don't know God or you don't trust God. Because faith is the combination of knowledge and trust. The possibility number one is this, that you cannot have faith in that which you do not know. You cannot have faith in that which you do not know. Um, uh, as, as, a, as a public speaker, I'm really sensitive to gaffes. I make gaffes all the time, okay? And so I have a lot of grace for like political candidates that mess up and, and they're, they're a little clip goes viral of them messing up. I, I, I understand they speak all the time. But one of the funniest ones was in the 2000 election campaign Democratic candidate Al Gore was asked what his favorite Bible verse was. I don't know if you remember this. And he meant to say John 3.16, okay? He meant to, we all know that he meant to say John 3.16, but he'd been speaking so much and everything. He said John 16.3, okay? And John 16.3 says this, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. <laughs> That's, <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of grace. Okay, he, it, it, it was just a mistake. He meant to say John 3. I've done that all the time, okay? But you cannot know God. It, you cannot have faith in God if you do not know God, okay? Many of us know the story of David and Goliath. It's an iconic story in our culture. Uh, you know, the nine-foot giant Goliath with the little shepherd boy David, and David goes out to face him and, and slings the stone at him and slays the giant. It's an it, it's a, it's a expression in our culture, David and Goliath. Okay, such an iconic story. But well, how did David have the guts to do that? If we really look at this story, how did David have the guts to do that? Many of us think that he just kind of showed up, saw the battle, walked out there, and beat Goliath. That's what a lot of people think. No. That's because our culture doesn't know the whole story. In 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37, we hear the story. David was the youngest of his brothers, and his brothers were away at the battle fighting the Philistines. The Philistines were awful people, some of the worst people in the, in, in the Bible. They were awful. And David goes and takes food and everything to his brothers, and he sees 
uh, the army spread out, the Philistines were on this hill, the Israelites were on this hill, and, and every day this nine-foot giant would, would step out, Goliath, their champion, he would taunt the armies of Israel, say, send one man to fight me, and if I win, you're our slaves, and if, if, if he wins, we'll be your slaves. This is the way a lot of times battles were decided back then, a single combat. Well, no one in Israel would do it. No one was foolish enough to go fight this nine-foot giant who, who, who was just, he, he was a champion. And David looks and says, who is this that would defy the armies of the living God? And somebody hears him say that, and he takes it, it's all that, hey, there's this guy named David that, that uh, wants to go fight. So he goes, uh, Saul, King Saul comes, comes to him, and, and David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he's been a warrior since his youth. Saul says, hey, 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 David, nah, I ain't seeing it. This guy, I've seen what this guy does in battle. You're, you're untested. We're, there's no way we're sending out. You know what happens if you lose, David? The entire nation of Israel becomes slaves to the Philistines. Our women, our children. I, I tell you, man, it was going to be a bad, bad deal. There's a lot at stake here, David. I, I, I'm just not feeling it. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued it from the sheep, the, the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servants killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow. David had faith. But how was that developed? David didn't look at Saul and say, I did nightly devotionals and studied the Torah. Now, don't get me wrong, please. I am not knocking the study of Scripture. We must become experts in Scripture. We must study Scripture. We must use our minds and learn, okay? We must become very well versed in every part of God's Word. But what had taught David his knowledge of God and his faith? Plain and simple, he was put in a situation where if God didn't come through, he was dead. We also often wonder why Christians in China and Pakistan have so much faith. And we criticize the lukewarm Western church, right? Well, how do they get such faith? Well, they've been put in situations where God has had to come through. Okay, this is not a blind faith that David had. God didn't start him out on a giant named Goliath. Listen to this. He started him out on a lion and a bear. Okay, with a very small stakes battle. The battle was over a lamb. Lion came in, took the lamb, and was running off. And King David, or David as a shepherd boy, had to decide. Had to decide. It's a small stakes. Well, if I go after the lion, uh, you know, if I don't go after the lion, it's just a lamb. There are plenty more lambs. Not worth it. Had to decide that, or, no, I'm going to go do this. If he had not entered the battle for the lamb, though, versus the lion and the bear, there's no way he would have entered the battle with Goliath. Don't miss that. What if David had looked at the lamb being carried off by the lion or the bear and said, eh, it's just not worth it. Eh, nah. He would not have had the faith to stand before the giant. See, this is what I want to tell you. This was experience, hands-on experience that had taught David who God was and what he was capable of. See, God starts us off with small battles. He starts us off with small callings that may seem insignificant at the time, 
They may seem of no consequence. They may seem like a lot of effort for a very little reward. You got to fight a lion over a lamb? There are a thousand other lambs. Why would I go fight a lion over a lamb? Well, he did it. And he found out that God comes through. He did that with a lion and a bear. And he developed confidence. He began to know who God was. And therefore, when the real battle came, the real calling, the real purpose for David was there, he was ready with his faith. God showed David so powerfully who he was that David alone, willingly, went to face Goliath. Now check this out. It's even better. You think David's brave for this. But there's a second part of this story that most people don't know. All right, check this out. This is only part of what David was walking out there to actually do. Okay, remember, he's got a nine-foot giant. So the, 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 the fate of the nation is in his hands, high stakes. His family, whatever, could be slaves to the Philistines, uh, which is not good, okay? Those are the worst people in the Bible, and, and to, be, to be slaves to them. So not only that, nine-foot giant and the, and the fate of the nation at stake. That's not even everything. Check this out. 1 Samuel 17, 38-40. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword on, uh, uh, over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. He took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with sling his hand, approached the Philistine. So not only does he go to battle, he goes to battle without any armor, because his faith showed that God plus him doesn't need armor. That's, that's an amazing faith. But he picked five stones. Does anyone know why he picked Five stones. Was he planning on missing four times, possibly? I know, I know when I go hunting, I don't take just one bullet because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not all that great. He had five stones. He was not planning on missing four times. Check this out. The Bible tells us that Goliath had four brothers. All giants from Gath. David planned on, once, once he killed Goliath, that his brothers would storm the battlefield and try to kill him. He was going to take all of them with one stone, each. He was not planning on only fighting Goliath. He was planning on fighting five giants. No armor, one stone piece. For the freedom of Israel. This is the confidence that David had in God. If he lost the battle, not only would he die, but his family, nations, people would be slaves to the Philistines, which were some of the e most evil people in the Bible. But because he knew God, he had knowledge of God, he went out and did it. You cannot have faith in that which you do not know. All of David's previous trials, the lion and the bear, had prepared him for this moment. See, I believe that, uh, uh, I believe that God has big things in store for people at Catalyst. I really do. But it doesn't start you out with the big. It starts you out with being faithful to the small. And if you're faithful there and God shows you his character, you know him. And then the next one, you get to know him better. You get to know him better. And then all of a sudden, when the big challenge comes, you have full confidence and faith in God because you know him. In four weeks, I'm heading to India with my son to do a short-term mission trip. Um, we're dedicating the new orphanage and school for our ministry there, as well as teaching pastors and, and, and preaching to thousands uh, in, in a country that in the last five years has gone from number 37 to number 10 
on the most difficult nations to be a Christian in. It's dangerous to be a Christian in India today. It is. Much worse than when we first started the ministry there in 2012. And I used to be one that thought mission trips were stupid. Did you know that? I used to think that mission trips were stupid. I gave all of the same responses that everybody gives. Oh, it's just a vacation. Uh, it, uh, it, it, money could be better spent elsewhere. There's so many needs here. Why are we going over there? We have needs here. Uh, you've heard all those. Yeah, I, I did those things too. And I was forced to go to Mexico on my first mission trip as a youth minister in 2004. My view was radically changed because I went and experienced, not because of something that I heard. And today... If you know anything about me, I'm huge on missions, on taking, uh, taking, taking the Bible outside of these church walls, not just out to the community, but to other nations as well. All right, I believe, like I said, there are huge things in store for people here at Catalyst, but we have to take that first step. I wonder what small thing, small lamb that you said no to is stopping you from the big that he has planned for you. Because we won't know him. We won't have the kind of faith. You cannot have faith in that which you do not know. You also cannot have faith in that which you do not trust. All right? Uh, you cannot have faith in that which you do not trust. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Sometimes be yourself is the worst, uh, is, is the worst advice you can give someone. Sometimes follow your heart is the worst advice you can give someone because it says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We are to trust in him. Trust is a scary word. Most people have a hard time with it, true? Most people have a lot of hard time with, with trust. That's why so, much, so many of us have a weak faith. I can't have faith if you don't trust. One of the strongest statements of faith I've ever heard was one of my heroes, John Wesley, and he said this, I am immortal until my work is done. Wow. He said, I am immortal until my work is done. There's nothing that can happen to me until I've fulfilled everything that God wants me to do. He said, God will keep me alive. God will, God will sustain me until the very second my work is done. And then after that, that's when I'll go. But not until then. And he went forward with that confidence. He went forward with all of that because he trusted that God had his back. That nothing could happen to him until all of his work was done. He rode 40,000 miles on horseback back in the 1700s, preached more than 20,000 sermons during his day. That's more than three per day every day of his adult life, seven days a week. It was one of the most effective servants of God in the history of humanity. It all stemmed from his trust in God, from that one statement, that I am immortal until my work is done. What would happen if every person in this church, in this church, looked at God and, and looked at life, looked at this world, and said, I am immortal until my work is done, until my work for the kingdom is done. There's nothing that can touch me if God wants me to do this. What would we be capable of? What if we had that kind of trust? In God what would this church be capable of because a lot of us have been let down in life trust is a hard concept uh, we build up uh, we build up this defense this shell the thing that will protect us from ever being hurt again and so we don't trust instead all that does is make us cold bitter and angry and isolates us away from the joy connection and friendship and love and the mission that God has called us to cannot have faith in that which you do not trust. And if you're a person who does not trust God, you're a person who has no faith in God. Let's just say it. You guys know what worship really is? 
A lot of us think that what the band led us in is worship, and, and, and it is. They, they do a great job, but many of us think that, you know, it's just kind of singing songs to God. That's not really that big a deal. Singing a song in the church on Sunday literally costs us nothing. It's not that big a deal. It's wonderful. Lord, the Lord loves it, but it doesn't cost us anything. It's safe. It's easy. Worship is only real when the worship you give actually costs you something. Old Testament worship involves sacrifice. The people of Israel would bring their, they, remember this was an agrarian society, they would bring their animals and sacrifice them. They would give them to God. They would kill them as a statement of worship, a statement of trust in God that God can provide better for me than this animal can. That this is my means of economic support. This is my means of living. This is what I need to live. And I am saying, God, in worship, I'm giving this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice this animal because I believe you provide more than this. It's a statement of trust. That's what worship was in the Old Testament. Talk about, talk about trust. Take the very things you need to survive and give them willingly to God and say, God, I believe you are the one who sustains me. You are the one that, 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 that uh, keeps my heart beating. You are the one that puts food on the table. You are the one that sustains everything. And I'm walking to you in faith. That's trust. Singing a worship song, that's one thing. Doing that, that's something else. This trust is the highest compliment you can pay someone. If you really want to worship God, if you really want to worship God, then trust God with everything. Trust him. That's the highest form of worship you can give. So we cannot worship that which we do not know, and we cannot worship that which we do not trust. So if your faith is struggling, those are the reasons why. And I, in the end, I'll tell you this, that faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua stands in front of the entire Israelite nation, and he says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, I, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He says that. He says, I'm making a choice before the entire nation today. I am going to serve God. And let me tell you something. You're going to serve something. You are. You're going to serve something. People say, well, I'm not going to serve anything. I'm a free, independent American. Well, I'm not going to serve anything. Really? Well, one thing that's really kind of bothered me about I'm hearing in our society right now is there's a big, there's a battle for the soul of America, what kind of nation we're going to be. Um, I've, I've, I will make this statement that atheism does not lead to freedom. It does not. You think it would, right? You throw off all the rules, throw off all the regulations, all the made-up constructs of religion and all, all the arguments that atheists give. It would be a great adventure in freedom. Many atheists call themselves free thinkers. Well, this is what I've seen throughout study of history, is that atheism always does not lead to freedom. It leads to statism. Think about all the nations and the governments that have been founded upon atheism. Soviet Union, Cuba, North Korea. Are they free societies? No. They are repressive, authoritarian, totalitarian dictatorships. 
Because when belief in God is thrown off, service of God is thrown off, then they simply create a new God known as government. Go throughout history. History says it. Khmer Rouge, the Third Reich, all led to huge government apparatuses with vicious repression of human rights, not freedom. This past week, the Democratic Party passed a resolution openly embracing people of no faith and condemning people of faith, stating this, whereas religiously affiliated Americans overwhelmingly share the Democratic Party's value, I'm just, I'm just reading what they said, with 70% voting for Democrats in, in 2018, 80% supporting same-sex marriage, and 61% saying immigrants make American society stronger, and whereas the religiously unaffiliated demographic represents the largest religious group within the Democratic Party, growing from 19% in 2007 to, in, to one in three today, and whereas the non-religious have often been subjected to unfair bias and exclusion in American society, particularly in the areas of po politics and policymaking, where the assumptions of religiosity have long predominated, and whereas those most loudly claiming that morals, values, and patriotism must be defined by the particular religious views have used those religious views with misplaced claims of religious liberty to justify public policy that has threatened the civil rights and liberties of many Americans, including but not limited to the LGBT community, women, and ethnic and religious, non-religious minorities. That's, that, that was right from the, I, I did not make that up, that, that, that was straight from their website. As the DNC has moved away from faith, is it moving towards more freedom, more, uh, less interference, more liberty? No, the opposite. One of the front runners of the DNC is an open, big government socialist. As people move away from faith, they move towards statism. You can see it in history. I'm not condemning one political party or whatever. I'm just saying that as, as you, you will serve something. As you don't serve God, you will serve the state. That's what history has shown us. Look at Europe. As churches have closed and people have walked away from faith, they've created bigger and bigger governments. It's not rocket science. It happens everywhere. It's a given. You will serve something. If you don't serve God, you'll serve an increasingly bigger and more intrusive government. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, the Bible says. Choose for yourself whom you will serve. Yes, for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. In the end, we simply must choose to trust God. We must simply make a decision based on the knowledge and trust to follow God. When I was a youth minister um, down in Hendersonville, I was asked to be part of a panel discussion. A panel discussion where they brought in people from different faiths and, and atheists, and I, I was the Christian guy, I guess. And, and I, I, I was uh, invited all kinds of students, people from back, different backgrounds. The, the auditorium was packed with, with students. And uh, I made a case for why I believed in Jesus and the authority of Scripture. Um, and then I had a question and answer time. And a student stood up and looked at me and said this. Sam, you seem like an intelligent person. I like, oh, you don't know me very well. Uh, but how, he said, how can you believe this Stone Age nonsense? And I said, because I chose to. And he got this smug, condescending look on his face like, that's what I thought. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't give me that. I said, don't give me that, man. Please. Don't try to con me. I said, you can't tell me that you looked at every belief system and, and you, you investigated thoroughly and came up with airtight evidence and, and uh, supported by an endless stream of objective facts and le led you to the indisputable conclusion uh, that what you believe is 100% correct. You cannot tell me that. He was very, very quiet. I said, no, you looked at what evidence you had and chose what you believed. I chose what you had faith in. I said, in the end, we choose what we believe. Evidence can take us so far. 
but we don't ever know anything, so we have to choose what we believe and who we follow. At some point, everyone is going to have to step forward in faith and say, this is what I choose to believe. And I, I, I told that to the, to, the, to the group, and everybody was silent. I said, I have faith, because time and time again, I said, God has put me in situations where he's come through. Uh, he's shown me time and time again that he can be trusted. I have chosen to have faith, and it's not an unreasonable blind decision, I said. I said, I've tested God's ways and found them to be best. I still have issued the challenge that someone would give me a, a command of God that, if followed, will ruin you. I'm still waiting. Uh, I've examined his purpose for me and found that that is the best way. Uh, I believe there's no other explanation for the empty tomb other than the fact that Jesus was resurrected on the third day. I cannot find a good explanation for that. My choice of faith in God is based on mountains of evidence, but I still had to choose to believe it. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. I still had to choose to believe it. I have chosen, you guys, have you. I'm not talking, have you chosen to be baptized? I'm not saying, have you chosen to believe that God exists? I'm not talking about that. I'm asking, have you chosen to have faith in God? To follow him, as we just sang, everywhere. That where he goes, we go. That who he serves, will serve. That where, if, if this life I lose, will follow. Have we made that choice, people? Because evidence will take you so far, but in the end, you have to have faith. You have to choose to have faith. A lot of us kind of stop where the evidence ends. Well, you know, I'm not real sure, and we sound so intellectual when we say, I still have questions. It's okay to have questions. It's not okay to stay there your whole life and use them as a, as, as, as a smokescreen to stop from making the choice. Remember, indecision is a decision. Remember that. Have you chosen people to have faith, the kind of faith that pleases God? That's the question. But we cannot have faith in that which we do not know. We cannot have faith in that with whom we do not trust. Faith is a combination of knowledge and trust. So I ask you today as your pastor, choose to have faith. And we're going to be talking about that over the next 40 days. I pray this series is a blessing to you and that it is a, a clear uh, a path for you to follow. For those of you on the fence, I ask you, choose faith. Because faith is a combination of knowledge and trust.